Well, one of the privileges of being a parent is being able to watch your kids play. Uh, And as you watch them play, you get to watch their imaginations grow and develop. And so with my boys, it seems to follow a pattern. And so when they're fairly young, somewhere between a year and a half, it's like they're, they're now able to, in their, in their mind, be able to imagine themselves as something else. And typically for my boys, that something else starts with an animal of some sort. And so my boys will go through a phase where they're all into animals, and they're, they're usually dangerous animals of some sort, something, uh, or at least cool, like a rhino or a hippo. And then it eventually begins to move on. After a number of years, they, they still are kind of in the animal phase, but they begin to move into the superhero phase. And so... It was cool to be an animal, but now it, it would be cool to be a human with superpowers. And then they don't really leave that phase. They still, they still kind of like superheroes, but then they eventually begin to kind of morph into more of an action figure phase, and so an action hero phase. And so my boys, uh, a while back, they saw Indiana Jones, which was kind of a turning point for them. That was a big deal. They never knew somebody could be so cool as Indiana Jones. And, and so they're kind of into that action hero stage. And I, I think I followed a similar pattern when I was their age. I remember somewhere around seven years old, I saw an episode of MacGyver. And it was like, a, like I had an epiphany uh, of what a really cool person could be like. And so I wanted to be like MacGyver. However, there is one person that I never really pretended to be in my imagination when I was a boy. And I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but I never pretended to be Jesus when I was a little boy. Now, I, I believed in Jesus. My parents raised me to love him, to trust in him. And I, I viewed him as, as my savior, as someone I could trust, someone I felt safe with. But I didn't, I didn't pretend to be him. I, I, I viewed him as, as gentle and mild, but not really, not really like an action hero. And I think there's kind of two reasons for that. One was all the pictures I saw of Jesus in kindergarten uh, and, and in church and on the little flannel graphs that, that my teachers used— all the pictures of Jesus had him as um, kind of wearing this long white dress and kind of this, this kind of blue sash going around him and his hair is blow-dried and he's, he's usually holding a lamb and he's like petting it. And uh, that's, that's nice and all, but uh, you know, that just didn't inspire me to want to be like that. I, I didn't really want to hold a lamb like that. And then also, my parents... Their favorite passage in the Bible was the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. They were really into that. Now, they would read me the Bible every night, but my parents came from a Mennonite background. And so for Mennonites, the Sermon on the Mount is very important. And so they would quote me passages periodically. I would come home and complain about bullies, and they'd say, Well, turn the other cheek, you know. Love love your enemies. And that's not really what I wanted to hear as a boy. I, I liked passages of scripture about David fighting Goliath and about Elijah calling down fire from heaven, but I wasn't really into the Beatitudes very much. I, rather than poor in spirit, I really wanted to be confident. And rather than meek, I wanted to be bold and assertive. And, and rather than making peace, I wanted to fight evildoers. And rather than loving my enemies I, and turning the other cheek, I really wanted to just teach him a lesson. The Sermon on the Mount and the the Beatitudes, those attributes didn't really reflect what I valued. And I think part of my desire uh, was to, you know, to be a strong person who could protect people and fight for justice. I think that's just innate in little boys, and I think that's a God-given thing. And I think I had a desire for adventure that children have, and that's fine too. 
But that wasn't my only motivation as I made these fantasies, these imaginary scenarios in my mind. Typically, in my imagination, I was the most powerful and the most intelligent person in in my fantasy world. And I think that's because I wanted to be in control. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted people to admire me, and I wanted to get all the glory in my imagination. And the Beatitudes, they're, they're just antithetical to those kind of values, and that's why I didn't like them. And the one beatitude that I I really dislike the most, it seemed like the worst beatitude to me, is the one that we're studying today. So thanks, Dean, for assigning that. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, as a boy, when I used to hear that verse, I would imagine a world filled with mild-mannered, wimpy people. They're all sitting around playing harps and playing board games, because I wasn't into board games. And they, they always spoke very softly, and they constantly deferred to each other. And so it's like, no, you, you go first. No, no, I couldn't possibly. You go first. No, 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 please, you go first. And I was like, oh, it was a nauseating picture to me as a boy. It's like, somebody go first, you know? Come on. Stand up for yourself. But I began to realize as I got older that I had misunderstood this word. And I think most of us do. There's a very different connotation in English than than what the word actually has in Greek and in Hebrew. In English, meek generally means weak. It's how we usually view it. You talk about a meek person, you talk about a very passive person. Somebody who just lets people walk all over him or her. But in Greek, the word that we translate as meek actually carries the idea of subservient strength. That means strength that is used to serve another person or another being. Subservient strength characterized by gentleness, humility, and self-control. Subservient strength characterized by gentleness, humility, and and self-control. Now, it's important, important to note that the Greeks did not like the word meek either. They didn't like it either, but not for the reasons that we don't like it. It was a derogatory term to them, but it didn't, and it, it didn't imply that you were weak. It implied that you were submissive. That's why they didn't like it. You could be strong, but you were submissive if you were meek. And so for them, the synonym for meek was slavish. If you were a meek person, you were a slavish person, a person who acted like a slave and deferred to the will of another. And so Aristotle actually has a big section on meekness in his, in his book on virtues. And he, he uses a couple examples to explain this. He uses the example of a trained horse. This is a horse that uh, in the wild, this horse would be very strong and very powerful and very dangerous to try to ride. And so if you try to catch a wild horse, you better know what you're doing when you're breaking it because they're dangerous. And you certainly wouldn't put a child on a wild, unbroken horse. They're dangerous. They're strong. But once you tame that horse and once you train it, now its strength becomes an asset. And you can use its strength for for good purposes. And you can, even your little children can ride that tamed horse. It's meek now. Another example that Aristotle gives that is not very PC is that of an obedient slave. 
Now it's important to note here that in the ancient world, slave, slavery was generally, generally not based on racism. It was, it was a, a matter of a prisoner of war. Typically, if you're a slave, you were captured in war. And so uh, an army would invade, they would take over your city, and they would take all the, the, the uh, warriors that they captured and all the women and children, they would take them as slaves. And so Aristotle uses this example of an obedient slave because he says, uh, you want that person to be strong. You don't want a slave that's weak, that has no, no ability and no strength. You want a strong person, but you want them to be, again, submissive, gentle and humble and self-controlled around the master's family. Now, we don't ride horses very much, unless maybe some of you live in rolling hills. Most of us don't nowadays. And thankfully, uh, we don't have slaves. So I think that those examples, while maybe they're a little bit helpful, they can be hard to, to relate to. So I was thinking this week, what was a modern, kind of a modern metaphor for meekness? And I thought of a large pet dog. My grandfather uh, was a farmer. And he would always have a German shepherd. He would, he would have the biggest German shepherd that he could find. He always wanted one. Uh, and he, that, that shepherd, that dog, would go along with him. It would accompany him as he worked. It would ride on the tractor with him. It would, it would run along beside him. Uh, he'd be working under, doing it on the equipment, and the dog would sit right there with him. But it was also a guard dog. And so I, I many times witnessed strangers drive into the, to the farmyard and that dog would just start barking and growling and the hair sticks up on his, on his back. And my grandfather would have to call him off, which, which he could because the dog was well trained. But my grandfather wanted a strong dog that could be a guard dog. However, this same dog that was very strong, very capable, had sharp teeth, was very gentle around the grandkids. And so we would come and, and we were little guys and we'd go up to it and it, my grandfather had the first four, five grandkids were boys, so it was kind of a crazy, crazy mass of kids, and we would go up to that dog, and we'd try to ride it, and we'd be pulling its hair, and, and doing all the things that little boys try to do to dogs, and uh, I'm sure the dog didn't enjoy it, but he was very self-controlled with us. He was very gentle with us, and there were times when he would go somewhere else, but he, he never bit us. He never snapped at us or growled at us. He was gentle. He was meek. That's the kind of dog that my grandfather wanted. Not a weak dog. He, he, he didn't buy like a chihuahua or something. That's not the, that's not the kind of dog he needed on a farm. I mean, he wanted a big, powerful dog. But he also needed that dog to be well-trained and to be, to be submissive to him, to use his strength according to my grandfather's wishes. I think for a Christian, that can be an applicable example for us. Christian meekness is not about becoming weak. It's not about becoming emasculated. God made you to be strong and he wants you to be strong. He wants you to use the gifts and the abilities that he gave you to serve others and to bless people. We're commanded to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. But to do that... In order to do that, we need to bring our rebellious, self-centered, untrained will under God's authority. Submit it to him and allow him to teach us how to use our strength with gentleness, humility, and self-control. That is Christian meekness. Not weakness, meekness. And if you do that, if you submit your unruly will to God and you allow him to temper it and to train it and to make you strong but have your strength be tempered with humility and gentleness, Jesus says that you are blessed. 
you are blessed. You may not always feel blessed, but objectively, in the big picture, looking back on your life from the, from the perspective of eternity, you'll say someday, I was blessed. I was blessed to live a meek life, a life in service to God, loving others. And Jesus goes on and he says, you will inherit the earth. Now that is almost a direct quote of Psalm 37:11. And so I want you to turn there with me in your Bible. I usually don't ask people to turn too much in their in their Bible cuz a lot of times we can't find places, but I think you can find the Psalms. They're about in the middle of the Bible. We're going to spend some time there. Psalm 37. Let's initially just start right at verse 11. Psalm 37, 11. It says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Now there's two important things about this passage of Psalm 37. One, it's the description of a meek person. So starting from verse 1 all the way at least through verse 11, it describes a meek person, the kind of person who is meek. But Second, and this is important, it's, it's, it was viewed as a messianic psalm by people in Jesus' day. That means people in Jesus' day believed that this psalm was describing what life would be like when the Messiah came. And they were really excited about the Messiah coming, and so they would memorize all the passages of Scripture about the coming of the Messiah. And so what that means is that when Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, for his original audience, that would, a light bulb would have gone off. And they would say, oh, that's Psalm 37. Jesus is talking about Psalm 37. And they immediately would have began to think about the characteristics of a meek person. All those things would have come to their mind. And you may find that hard to believe, but imagine if I stood up here and I just, I just said, what would I say? I have a dream. You wouldn't say, well, what's your dream? You'd say, oh, he's, he's referring to Martin Luther King's speech, right? It's a line that brings that speech to your mind. And in the same way, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, that same kind of, uh, that same kind of uh, action is occurring. When they hear Jesus say that, they immediately go to this passage of Scripture. And so for us, we don't know Scripture in that, in that way. We don't know Psalm 37, most of us, by heart. Uh, and so I think it's helpful to go to that passage and to see what was Jesus' Jesus's original audience thinking when they heard him talk about a meek person. So let's go back to verse 1, Psalm 37, 1. We'll start there. It says, Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Meek people do not worry or envy evil people. They do not fret about, worry about, or envy evil people. They have an eternal perspective that enables them to leave judgment to God. I was thinking about this the other day. Why do I get so worked up about evil people who are, who are alive right now but I don't get worked up about evil people who, who, who lived back in history and who are already dead. People who lived 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. There's a lot of evil people in history. I don't get worked up over them. But I get worked up over evil people today sometimes. And I see things in the news and I read about ISIS and about all these other people and groups and I get angry. I say, God, why do you allow them to do these things? But I don't say that about 
the ancient Assyrians who lived 3,000 years ago and used to impale people on sticks. I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really get me worked up. And I think the, the, the reason is very simple. The first kind of people are still alive and the second kind of people are dead. Okay? People who lived in the past who were evil, they're dead. And they've gone on to, to judgments. And people who suffered, the righteous who suffered under those evil people have gone on to their eternal reward. But I don't feel that way in the present. But meek people have that kind of perspective. That as life is going on and they see evil people flourishing and they see the righteous being persecuted and hurting, they don't get worked up over it. They, of course, they think it's wrong. They, they hate injustice. But they don't get so worked up because they know that they have an internal perspective. This reality will not last forever. Eventually, death is coming to all of us. And they understand that. And they trust God in the meantime. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if meek people trust God and they, they do good. They do not get discouraged or distracted from doing good when they see stuff happening around them. They're able to stay faithful. They're able to keep their focus and not give up. And it says God gives them safe pasture. That means he protects them. He provides for them and they enjoy it. They're able to be content. Meek people are able to be content and they're able to keep doing what God has called them to do. And so things can be go, going crazy around them, but they're, in a sense, they're able to keep their perspective singular and say, this is what God has called me to do. I'm going to be faithful in this. I'm going to be contented with his provision. I'm not going to get worked up by things going on around me. And they delight themselves in God. They find joy in loving and being loved by God. And as they do that, as they enjoy just being loved by God and loving him and thinking about him and praising him and living to honor him, God gives them the desires of their heart. The very desires, not just the things they want, but the literal desires, the thing, what they want. He gives them those desires. Verse 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Meek people commit their way to God and they trust him. And so when people slander them, when people misunderstand their motives, meek people do not feel this need to have to defend themselves and have to fight to save their reputations. They can explain, you know, they can be clear and say, this is where I was coming from. But if somebody's going to slander them, if somebody's going to fight against them, they do not feel the need to have to justify themselves all the time. They have to fight and to, to defend themselves. They can leave that to God and allow God to vindicate them in his time. Meek people trust God enough to not get worked up every time somebody says something bad about them or does something bad to them. They can trust God and allow him to justify them. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Meek people are able to be still and wait for God patiently. They have this inward peace. They're able to just rest. I said a couple weeks ago that peace is the potting soil for revelation. In other words, for you to be led and and guided by God, you need to be able to have peace on the inside. If you are anxious and uptight and worried and stressed, you're not going to be led by God. You're not going to be able to sense his Holy Spirit leading you. 
And so meek people are able to just trust God and to wait patiently and be still, inwardly still. They're not worried about all that's going on around them. They're able to trust God, be still, have peace, and be led by him. Verse 8. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil people will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Meek people refrain from wrath. Now in the Bible, there's different kinds of anger, different words for anger. There's one kind of anger that is, that is righteous. God has righteous anger over evil. He hates injustice. He hates evil. And it is okay to have that kind of anger, but it's not, it, it's not an explosive anger. It's kind of a, cold, kind of a cool, uh, you, you recognize injustice and you're angry about it. But wrath is an anger that's reactive. It's an anger where you, you see something and, and it just, your, emotion, your emotions get worked up and you just blow up and you explode. And the Bible says wrath is wrong. It leads to evil. That kind of reaction. To just react and say, oh, I've got I to do something now. Meek people understand that. They realize that wrath leads to evil. And so again, they don't get worked up in that way. They leave vengeance and judgment to God until finally they inherit the land and enjoy peace. Verse 11, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Now again, this psalm is messianic, so land here, the Jews understood the land or the earth. It's the same word there in the Hebrew. They understood that to mean the earth when the Messiah returned and set up his kingdom. And they said all the people who are in the Messiah's kingdom will be meek people. And someday they will inherit the land. They will be the ones to live with the Messiah in his new kingdom. Now, some of you, as we read this and as we talk about meekness, some of you may still be thinking or at least struggling with the thought that, okay, I, I hear what Pastor Dave is saying. Meek people are not, they're not necessarily weak, but I'm sure it's kind of a personality thing. I mean, I'm sure it's like meek people, they're just kind of naturally submissive. They're very easygoing or they're contemplative. They, they, they can't really handle much responsibility. They're not natural leaders. They, don't, they lack ambition, right? If I'm a leader, if I have ambition, I can't be meek. It's a personality trait. But the problem with that idea is that meekness is an attribute of Jesus. And Jesus is the most powerful being in the universe. And so if you're going to say that Jesus can't, be a leader, then you're going to have some problems in your theology. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle. And the word gentle there, same word translated meek. I am gentle, I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is the most powerful being in the universe, and yet he invites people to come to him because he's gentle. He's humble. He's kind. He's self-controlled. He will not lash out in anger. He will not treat us as our sins deserve, but he is merciful and compassionate. Matthew 21.5, Matthew talks about Jesus riding into Jerusalem. He says, your king comes to you gentle. Again, same word, meek, and riding on a colt. The king of the Jews comes into Jerusalem, not on a stallion, not ready to conquer the city, but meek, gentle, kind. And then one of my favorite passages, John 13, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, and a few verses later it says he began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus served. He had great power, great authority, but he was meek enough to be able to use that power with self-control, with gentleness, with humility to bless other people. And the problem for us is that when we don't submit our strength to God, we, we just exert our strength and we end up hurting people. We end up hurting ourselves because we, we're sinful and we don't know how to use our strength in the right way. And so what we need to do is come before God and say, God, I, I have these abilities, I have these, you've made me this way, but teach me how to use it for your glory. Because I don't know how, and I'm, I tend to hurt people. When I, when I really exert myself, I just hurt people. I need to be like you, Jesus. I need to be humble enough to use my strength to wash people's feet. And that's a prayer that God loves to answer. He wants to make us meek. Not weak, but meek. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are gentle and you're humble and you're self-controlled. Lord, that we do not we do not have to fear your great power. We certainly respect it and we know that that we need to submit ourselves to you, but for those who have turned to Christ, he is gentle and humble in heart and we can find rest for our souls. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you would make us meek like you, Jesus to be able to love people, to be able to serve people in a way that honors you and blesses them. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.